This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hey there, listeners, future callers, and cooking enthusiasts. This is Dinner SOS, the show where we help you save dinner, or whatever you're cooking. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. So about a month ago, we held our first ever Dinner SOS live show at Symphony Space in New York City. And I'm so excited to share that show with you on this episode. We used some questions from our listener mailbag and even answered some that came in right on the spot. It was a delight for me to share the stage for the evening with food luminaries Ruth Reichel, Marcus Samuelson, and Padma Lakshmi. Ruth is a legendary food writer and restaurant critic. She served as editor-in-chief of Gourmet Magazine and as the chief restaurant critic for the New York Times, among many other accolades. Marcus is the chef behind restaurants like Red Rooster Harlem and the newly opened Haven Mar. He's also written books, won awards, and made many, many television appearances. And Padma is the executive producer and host of the Hulu show Taste the Nation, which highlights immigrant and native food communities all over America. She's also been the host of cooking competition show Top Chef for the last 19 seasons. Without further ado, Dinner SOS Live. Tonight's going to be a little different. Instead of one co-host, we have three. And three culinary all-stars at that. Um, And we're all going to bring our unique perspectives and experiences to the table here to help solve dinner emergencies just right here on the spot. And yeah, let's get into it and hear our first question from listener Anna. If we could play the voicemail, please. Hi, my name is Anna and I'm calling from Bozeman, Montana. And during COVID, we gave up on making the kids eat more variety And we're now in a cycle of five things that they will eat. And my husband and I cook two separate meals every single night. And the kids are now seven and nine and just refusing to try most things. They'll eat almost any vegetable that we put in front of them. But if we put even the slightest amount of barbecue sauce on chicken, they are highly averse. So we're trying to find things that stretch their taste buds that can be in regular rotation for weeknight kid-friendly dinners, but open my kids' horizons a little bit. Padma, I feel like this is a great one for you to kick us off on. Okay, so I can only tell you what I did and what worked, but philosophically, I'm against being a short-order cook. (laughs) Let me start there. Um, You know, kids will be children, you know, and children need to be told what to do sometimes. (laughs) Um, and I had somebody in my life and this little boy would only eat things that were round. Um, I'm serious. Cucumber slices, cherry tomatoes. You know, I now know many round things, but, um, (laughs) but you know, I think in my house from the start, the first thing I say to parents who ask me, you know, how can I feed my children better? I say, well, how do you eat? 
You know, like everything else in parenting, they're going to pay attention a lot to what you do and how you speak about food and how you, um, what your relationship is to food. And it's never too young to get kids involved in cooking because a child who has um, a hand in preparing their own food will more likely take a proprietorship over that meal or dish or salad and want to eat it. They'll feel salad, a sense. Really? Yes, a salad, really. It, they'll, they'll take a sense of pride in it, hopefully. And, you know, loving food is infectious, but you have to be vocal about it. When I was pregnant, I didn't talk to my belly until, you know, my mother was like, you're so quiet. I said, well, I live alone. She said, no, you, you don't. You got to talk. It's the same thing. You got to talk about food, you know, make it a fun thing. But on a daily basis, on a weeknight, make one meal that is nutritious and mostly vegetables and fruits or whatever, and then make that dish. And if someone in the household doesn't want to eat it, hopefully you have some leftovers they can finish. Or they, in my house, they can have a scrambled egg with some sliced carrots, bell pepper, cucumber, whatever, and a tortilla. And, you know, if there's leftover rice, they can have the eggs and vegetables with soy sauce and Tabasco, which is what I did when I was four. And I thought the food in this country was bland. <laughs> I was coming from India. Anyway, so that's the policy. In my house, if my 13-year-old doesn't want to eat something, she's allowed to forage for herself, and there's usually leftovers, or she can make a sandwich maybe if that's there. But if all else fails, she has to have a tortilla with a scrambled egg in it, a little hot sauce, and some veggies, or she can starve. <laughs> now, in the privacy of this room, okay, I'm going to tell you that there are people who have really been uh, offended by me saying this, because this is a question I get asked a lot. Nobody is going to die from missing one or two meals, and your child won't either. <laughs> what, what about you, Ruth? Well, I, I am very opposed to the idea of separate food for children. I think the minute we come up with that notion, we are basically telling children, you aren't like us and you won't like what we eat. And um, it is a thing that children do. It's one of the few things that children can actually control. And so all children at some point are going to use food as a weapon. And, um, and you know, at, there was a point when my son would only eat five white foods. <laughs> and I called our pediatrician and I said, you know, what do I do? He won't even eat cookies. I mean, he doesn't even eat chocolate. Um, and she said, Ruth, no sane child ever starved himself to death. And... <laughs> and so we were just, you know... Eat what you want. You have, you have to sit at the table with us, and you can eat whatever you want, but if you don't like anything on the table, too bad. I feel like my kids keep me very humble by not liking anything that I make, but what about, what about you, Marcus? Oh, I'm, I'm so happy I'm going last. The show at Samuelson's house is a movie. <laughs> you should come over. We should do a tradition just I know, th this ends tonight. No, but being an immigrant... Just like Padma, you, you observe things differently, right? I remember calling my mom and, and like saying, like, people walk and eat here, mom. And she's like, 
Nah. <laughs> People are sitting down. No, they, 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 they drink coffee in the morning and walk, and then they eat. I didn't know what bagel was. And so I was like, eating this thing is really weird. And my mom's next day, I was like, they're eating pizza and walking. No, that's not. You're sitting down. So that was like my entree into New York, right? The other thing I noticed is that America's the only place where there's like kids' music, kids' food. Like, try that in Africa. Like, <laughs> or in Jamaica. Like, there is... No kid music. Everyone listening to like reggae and ska and so on. Like there's no kid music. And the kid music and the kid food is actually for me, is all one. So I think that that idea that you can have these choices makes it really interesting too. So if you would take away the choices, uh, it would would go a little bit easier. Because you're also saying to kids that the things you're going to like is Chicken fingers, mac and cheese, and these four or five things. And then around 10, 12, you have to then transform them into liking a broader, which is complicated. I say all that to say, like, my son, so he can go from, like, just eating Ethiopian food and healthy and really, really good. And now he's in school where everybody's eating, like, chicken fingers, (laughs) mac and cheese. (laughs) So now he wants that as well, right? So he's challenged me and... And he sees that he's, like, really stressing me out. And he can see that moment of, like, I'm actually having a little power here of my father. So this, the battles does not change around kid food just because you're a famous chef. <laughs> Very fair. All right. So question number two. This is from listener John. I've got a two-part challenge for you. First, I'm going on a fishing trip with buddies in northern Wisconsin this summer. I'm guaranteed to get a few largemouth bass and maybe some perch. The trouble is, all the online recipes I find for freshwater panfish, or just freshwater fish, I'd imagine, are essentially battered and deep fried. There's no creativity there. I'd love to do something special with my catch. Second, and here's the kicker, and I kind of wish John had led with this, I don't eat fish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to... This it's is clearly so, a part of my question. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, this one's for you, for oh, sure. Yes. <laughs> it's just so fishy. I think with the right recipe and a fresh-caught fish, you could help change my life. But here, sub-question, Marcus. Yeah. Are freshwater fish actually that good? So it depends where you, you, like, where you are, right? But, I, I mean, freshwater fish, you, there's tons of stuff you can do, especially for people who are not big fish eaters, right? You can also put it in, for example, you can smoke it, right? Fold it into an omelet, delicious. Again, those smoked pieces, fold it into a wonderful salad, would be amazing, even as a topping uh, on a pizza, right? Wait, stop. Topping on a pizza, (laughs) hold on. Yes, back up. I am so sorry. I know you have like many stars and stuff, but... (laughs) (laughs) Fish on pizza? Yes. That is in anchovies? Of course, of course. Do you have cheese on that pizza? A little bit. You don't have to have a lot. It could be great. Yes, yes. But so in Sweden, for example, (laughs) I love it. In Sweden... We do our Johnson Temptation, which is a big, big, big dish that we eat during the holidays. And it's done with herring, very often smoked herring. Mm-hmm. And that is onion, potatoes, cream. And you, you <laughs> shred it, you bake it. And it's super delicious. For someone who's not a big uh, fish lover, 
that would probably be the dish. And Padma can have the pizza. <laughs> I don't want pizza with fish. Padma, so no pizza for you. What, How what about, would you about do? curried fish? Yes. I mean, you could do so much. I mean, I, you know, I'm not a fisherman, so I will just tell you that I have had amazing freshwater fish, all kinds of fish and trout, you know, so mm. much. And I think with bass, you can do it a couple ways. You can, you know, gut it and prep it and stuff, leave it whole, and then just stuff it, you know, with a beautiful array of aromatics like limes and ginger and macroot lime leaf and lots of coriander and, and things like that that are gentle. You can even slice some chilies in there. Nice, beautiful salt in the middle. Then wrap it up in some tin foil, start a fire, find a way to suspend it over the fire <laughs> until it's John flaky. sounds creative. I, I've got a pretty good easy, right? Yeah. And, but he can do this on his camping yeah. trip in northern Wisconsin. You know, you can keep a box of all these aromatics. They'll keep, you know, with some ice for a day or three. <laughs> and then you do that, and then you take it out of the tinfoil when it's ready, and it's delicious. But can I also make another suggestion, which is Absolutely. one of the problems with people who go fishing is they eat it, the fish too fresh. Fish oh, yeah. should, oh. go, should go into rigor mortis mm. and out of rigor mortis. Mm. And when, when you and eat fish that has just been caught, yeah. it's mushy. Yeah. Um, and how, how should we do that? Line. Like throw it in the Yeti next to the Coors Light or whatever? Yeah, or? yeah throw throw it. Yeah, throw it in there and <laughs> right. and let it let it go into rigor mortis and and then come out. Wow, we're talking about rigor mortis. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but the other amazing thing is watching these fishermen that don't like fish bringing lime leaf with them. <laughs> that would be like. <laughs> And a, and a few banana depends leaves. What, <laughs> hey, depends what kind of fisherman. I was in Lowell, Massachusetts with some Cambodian ex-gang members. Yes. And believe me, they have, had a they lot had, of finger lime, lime finger, you know, finger root, <laughs> muckroot, lime leaf. There's lots of stuff. And you could also just make some curry out of it. Like she said, carry some spices. Those will keep for months in your glove box. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Padma, Ruth, and Marcus answer more of your questions. Here at Dinner SOS, we love tackling your kitchen issues. But what if I told you there's a way to rescue dinner before it turns into an emergency? With expert insights from the test kitchen, cooking and entertaining tips, and a treasury of over 50,000 recipes, Bon Appetit and Epicurious are your lifelines to rescue any meal. And right now, our listeners can get 20% off an annual digital subscription, including access to the user-friendly Epicurious app. Just use code SOS20 at bonappetit.com. That's SOS20 for a 20% discount on an annual digital subscription to Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Happy cooking. And don't worry, I'll still be here if your dinner plan self-destructs. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. 
Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, so we've got another voicemail from listener Clara. If we could roll that, please. Hi, Chris. Um, I would like to learn how to cook a perfect shake. I was raised vegetarian, and I'm seeing someone who eats almost exclusively meat. (laughs) So I just thought it would be nice to learn how to get a perfect sear on the steak. Um, Don't really want to deal with the whole sous vide thing. would like to just do old school stovetop steak. (laughs) <laughs> All right. The- say she was a vegetarian who wanted to call a do a veal steak. Did I understand <laughs> that right? Yeah, close. All right. So <laughs> what she wanted to know is she wants to know how to cook a perfect steak. She was raised vegetarian, but she's seeing somebody who eats almost exclusively meat. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll leave that one alone. I think she, but- she just cut her losses now. <laughs> <laughs> She so, could get together with the fisherman who doesn't yeah, exactly. eat fish. <laughs> We've, we're we're going to introduce her to John. Um, so she she doesn't want to deal with the whole sous vide thing and just wants to go old school uh, and do a stovetop steak. Now, <laughs> Ruth, there's two scenarios here. One is that uh, you're vegetarian and I'm about to owe you a big apology. I am not a vegetarian. Okay, cool, great. Um, the second is I'm just going to, just guess that you don't cook your steak sous vide. I do not. Okay. So wh- how? So what's the secret? Okay. Then? The first thing is she is probably going to like get this piece of meat and leave it wrapped up in the refrigerator. Big mistake. I mean, the first thing you want to do is take it out of its wrapping and let it sit open in the refrigerator for a couple of days, which will dry it out and will you know be a little bit of the aging process. Not much, rigor mortis. Not rigor mortis, <laughs> but just much easier to cook a steak that, that is chicken. not, not yeah. damp on the, yes, chicken mm-hmm. too, not damp on the outside. So not salted, just air, air dried. I actually like season? to, like to salt, it's kind of like a dry brine, you know, yeah. to put salt. Um, one of the best chefs, I know the late Judy Rogers of Zuni, I mean, a million years ago, I interviewed her and she said, every piece of protein that comes into this kitchen, I salt for three days before I cook it. Wow. And then the only other thing that's really important is you want to get your pan really hot. I mean, put a cast iron skillet on the fire and leave it there for five minutes at the top heat. So you've got, when it hits that pan, it immediately sizzles. Okay, so no, like, reverse sear, you're not baking it first. I'm not then... into that. I'm just, you know. Um, and then the other thing that I'm, a, I'm big on butter myself. Okay, fair. So after, after <laughs> you have, you know, seared both sides of the meat, a little bit of butter over it doesn't hurt. Mm, love that. What about you, Marcus? I think all of these techniques that comes out are very chef-driven, and they really come from a restaurant setting, right? Are you doing X amount of covers? So reverse here come from that. So we come from that very often. Super high-end or hotel kitchen. So we need those techniques for different situations, right? But at home, steak, you should absolutely not over-complicate it. You know, it's one of the things that just like 
you know, Ruth was talking about. You can have very simple on the spices, salt, whatever you like, but not, and then the pan, cast iron, you can throw in, you know, rosemary, you can throw in even a clove of garlic, whatever, just to get like really good flavor and you can start basting it, right? I love the combination of oil and butter, starting with oil and then halfway in through in the butter so you get the combination of really good golden brown and start basting it and then feeling it out, right? Like, and then the biggest mistake most people do, they don't let it rest. Rest. So if, let's just say the steak, depending on the cut, let's say it takes 10 minutes to cook at home. So it needs to rest 10 to 12 minutes at least, right? That does not mean you're serving a cold meal. It's not going to be cold. But when you buy expensive piece of meat, you don't want to slice it up right away. And then all the blood and the juices are on the cutting board. And then your steak gets dry. And then you're like, this is not how I had it in the restaurant. Or this doesn't match the price I bought. Those things are very often the main reason why people don't like their steak at home as much as they do in the restaurant. But keep it simple. The cast iron is just going to get better and better the more you cook in it. The grill pan, those are magical things in the kitchen that you actually can really simply make a great, great meal with at home. So, What uh, cut are you using? It depends. I mean, I love ribeye because the way it's marbled and the way the fat really sort of melts and it's beautiful and marble. But, you know, it could, be, it could be a flank steak too. It doesn't have to be super high-end because uh, a good piece of meat every now and then is just so delicious, you know? Steak at home? You know, I haven't ordered a steak in over 20 years. Really? I grew up as a vegetarian, mm -hmm. and then I started eating meat when I was a teenager. And, of course, you know, with my work, I eat everything yeah. on both shows. But left to myself, I don't. But, you know, when we were... Sometimes when the contestants don't use everything up... <laughs> How some glamorous. Things, yeah, some things fall into my purse. <laughs> And um, I remember when Shoda was a finalist, you know, we got him whatever he needed. And we had these beautiful steaks from Japan. So, you know, these weren't used. So they were just extraordinary. Talk about marbling. And that is exactly how I cooked it. I mean, we literally just cooked it in a pan with a little butter. We put a lot of chilies around it. <laughs> um, and it was delicious. Just absolutely delicious. And it was so delicious, even I had some. What other cool stuff have you gotten to bring home from set? <laughs> <laughs> well, that season, I also took a Donabe. Um, because they were just, you know, they didn't need them. And I One enjoyed nice cooking ones. really pretty oh. in a stone Donabe. Yeah. And I make a lot of, you know, rice dishes in that. Um, but usually it's just produce because it is genuinely going to, you know, go bad. And so they put it out for the I whole crew. I have to crew. say, all those years I did Top Chef Masters, I never took one what? thing home. <laughs> <laughs> I got cheated. Usually the crew have the first crack. But um, it's been fun to sort of play with those things and just do whatever we want with it. But I think the way that these two experts have explained Cooking steak is more artful than anything I could add. <laughs> Fair. Okay. So last listener question here. Um, this comes from Ryan. And Ryan is writing, uh, I love cooking for friends. More specifically, I love cooking pasta for friends. When I'm cooking for two to four people, I'm confident in my pasta skills. What I have difficulty with is cooking for large groups of people without sacrificing the quality of the pasta. 
I've made large amounts of amazing ragu or other amazing meat-based sauces that are great for a crowd. But once you mix all the pasta together, it sort of smashes in on itself at times. And I'm trying to find a good balance of knowing how to have control over each plate and making sure it's just as good as if it would be with just a smaller group of people. Yeah, I feel like I remember, you know, from my brief yet traumatic line cooking days that, you know, it's like the pasta line, like they wouldn't do more than two pasta covers in a pan at all, right? Because there's a certain way you have to manipulate that pasta in a skillet, toss it a certain amount, finish it, you know. Um, But I'm curious, can you do good pasta for a crowd? I I, I think you have to be crazy to try and do spaghetti for a crowd but okay. I, if it were me I would do a baked pasta I would do lasagna yeah. I would do a cannelloni or, I mean there are a million great baked pastas that are perfect for a crowd you make a lot of cannelloni I actually do Good for you manicotti yeah I do <laughs> I mean I, I think they're great party dishes yeah and you know macaroni and cheese I mean I don't know why you would torture yourself <laughs> to do, you know, pasta for 15 people. Um, I feel like, but is that obvious though? I mean, it seems like, oh, pasta, feed a crowd, you know, like just like boil a couple pounds. Well, the other secret is, so if you cook it really al dente and serve it to a lot of people and people go, oh, it's too crunchy. You go, no, no, that's how they eat it in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Fancy. That's good. I mean, there's a couple of steps to this if you're going to do it at home. I think you have to first, once you cooked it, you need to chill the pasta. And then you have to have a larger pot than you think or pan than you think. Save the pasta water, right? And then actually, I can already tell what he's doing. It's crowding the pan. Yeah. And that's where he's mushing it, right? Yep. So you either need to have a larger pan, add the pasta water back in this liquid, hitting with the vegetable on the meat, then last, once that's boiling, then last leg, actually add in the pasta, right? Stir and then quick, do that quick, multiple times? Quick, well, you can have two larger sets if you go okay. to that. But I do think like the baked pasta is a better option. And I can also tell you one of the reasons why I know this so well, because again, around 6.30, no, 5.30 last night, evening, I had this wonderful pasta ready to cook for my wife. Then life kicked in. <laughs> my daughter threw up. My son wanted to go and do something else. I had the pasta ready. Then I had to take my daughter to, to fix all the mess, all of that stuff. The pasta was left on the stove. It got mushy. It was bad. I can tell you it's the first bad meal <laughs> of 15 years of marriage I served my wife. And she's like... Why do you have to pick Mother's Day to serve me a bad meal? (laughs) So it happens to all of us. Classic. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's not that hard to cook pasta for 10 people. (laughs) 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 That's my answer, humbly speaking. I mean, I've been in those situations also because you're having a party and you want to visit with your friends and you've, you know, had your second glass of champagne and you're like, oh, this is going on and whatever. (laughs) I mean, he's, this gentleman is making a lot of meat sauce, right? I mean, it sounds like it. Yeah, okay, so you can um, have it on the stove or the slow cooker, or both if it's for 10 people. Have two uh, cauldrons of meat sauce or whatever. <laughs> or, or pre-made pesto also, which will keep for a bit. 
And then you just do two big pasta pots. You have one big colander. It's okay if they're your friends. They'll wait five minutes for the next batch. It's not, it's not that big a deal. So then you have a big colander. And you don't have to put pasta in the pan. This thing of, you know, always putting it into a hot pan. I get it for a lot of seafood pastas and things. But, you know, a lot of pastas you can just mix with the sauce in a big serving bowl, send it out. By the time the first five people pass it around, you'll have the second bowl, you'll send it out, and then you eat. It's not, it's not that hard. I don't think, I think it's in the choices, you know? Make good choices. <laughs> Make good choices. <laughs> it's the pan, it's the pan. <laughs> Ryan, if you're also out there. Also fresh pastas, you can also do all, if you want to be... You know, luxurious about it, you get really good fresh pasta and that's even quicker and the sauce is already made. You get beautiful hand-cut pasta or even frozen ravioli at Raffetto's. Okay, I always keep those in my freezer and they saved me many a day. It also depends all on the party, right? Like some parties are exactly like Padma said, it's cool, it's with your friend. Some parties could be, you may be inviting your new workmates, so like people you might not have the same relationship with, right? Sure. But I think at least you have controllables there, which is important. And then again, a larger pot and controlling the heat. It's actually not that hard. You just have to like plan it out. Cool. All right. Make good choices and plan. And understanding frozen pasta, dry pasta, and fresh pasta. I don't think this gentleman should go into fresh pastas because that makes it harder. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Because that's easier to overhook. Yeah. Brian, you're not ready for fresh pasta. Sorry, bud. <laughs> Or don't have people in your house who don't love you. There you go. <laughs> Fair. It's all about that's choices. Number yes. one. Yeah, that's the number one. We're going to take one more break. When we get back, it's time for a lightning round. All right, with that, uh, we are going to transition to the lightning round here, okay? Now, anybody can take these, okay? So if you this speaks to you, please jump in. Question number one from Megan. I love making crudos, ceviches, tiraditos, and all sorts of raw fish dishes. What are the best practices for buying and handling fish for these types of things? I'm looking right at you, Marcus. First, know your fishmonger. Ask, and this is for her, not just her, simplest thing. Ask for sushi quality of fish, grade A. That's it. If you get that, they will go in the back. They will give you better fish. And also, ask for the bones, because you're paying for them. Because if she's making ceviche and she's really advanced, maybe she wants to do a leche, maybe she wants to do a leche de tigre. Nothing could be better than just actually have a little fish broth going. If she doesn't want to do that, the next day she can do a ramen with that, or she has a broth. The bones you're paying for. Get the bones. You're paying for them anyway. So she called it a fish grade day. Love that. All right. Um, question number two from Cindy. What gets you in the mood to cook? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 Anything? I think cooking is our most natural activity. And um, I don't understand people who don't like to cook. I just... I just <laughs> Second that. I understand sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I definitely understand. But, but no, but I think the thing that gets me cooking is first and foremost someone to cook for. 
um, you know, I can whip up something for myself because I want to eat well and I try to have beautiful, nice, fresh things in my fridge that entice me to do it. But often for me, it's also travel and it's also going to a particular market and getting something and letting that tell me what to do with it. And that is one of my favorite Saturday activities. You know, go to the gym, go to the green market, get some stuff, stop off at my local Spice Dude, get some stuff from him, come home, put on some music or a podcast or, you know, book on Audible or something. And I just start cooking because to me, there's two types of cooking. There's have to cooking and there's want to cooking. But you should always allow a lot yourself enough time in your life. And I struggle with this even being in food to do the want to cooking. Cool. Um, from Gabriella, what are three things you always have in your pantry or fridge for surprise guests? Bacon, Parmesan cheese, and eggs. You have carbonara instantly. Fair. Love that. All right. This is from Stephanie. Our street has a small cocktail club that gets together on a quarterly basis. The host house selects a particular drink for the evening and acts as bartender throughout serving the night's cocktail. We'd like from you our next cocktail with an hors d'oeuvre that complements the drink of choice. Whoa. I mean, for me, like white wine with a, you know, ice cube in it and done and some <laughs> yeah. potato chips yeah. and you're there. I don't know that I want to be anybody's bartender for a night, you know? Well, you can make big batch. You can make, you know, some punch or something that is nice. Punch? All in on punch? Yeah, I'm falling on punch. Okay. I mean, I'm what, falling what are you serving the with the punch right now? Well, I, it's not really the season, but if you get good citrus at our house, we do a drink with grapefruit juice, orange juice, and tangerine, you know, a lot of citrus. And we also use um, the pickling liquid from these peppers Ooh. that I usually get in October and then pickle. Or, but you can even use like escovitch, like jalapeno pickle juice or whatever you have. And we add that in there and a little tiny drop of orange blossom water and tequila or vodka, and then tahini on the rim. But you just have a plate by the punch bowl, and you have a row of glasses, and people can take what they want and ice it separately. Beautiful. And then for the hors d'oeuvre, I would just do really crusty bread, some beautiful peppery manchego or something like this, a sheep's milk cheese, and I would do chili jam, just really yummy chili jam. And that's it. Call it a day. Those two things. <laughs> that's can, it. It's well, yeah, you can have the pitcher of juice in the fridge, have some, you know, seltzer for people who want to water it down. It makes itself, really. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I would do, um, in Sweden, we drink glugs, sort of starting November when it gets really cold, and lots of cloves. You really take bad wines, and you just slightly bring it to a boil, add a little bit of vodka, then you add brown sugar, and cloves and cinnamon, and it gives this really great smell, and it just feels like the holidays. I like the white wine version of that, actually. The orange version of that is really, the orange wine version of that is really light and bright because it's all about the cloves and the cinnamon. That's, you can drink that cold, you can drink that hot, and it's super delicious. And with that, I would just, again, just pick some super nice, Raw fish, simple crudo, and just keep it super simple. Okay, I, I don't think you can beat a great martini, a really cold martini. 
And with the martini, I like to serve, and I make them hot. So I stand in the kitchen, and I make blini, and um, very thin, and give them to people and let them put sour cream, and then because I can't afford really good caviar, I buy salmon roe, which is, you know, so you can really heap it on. It's really elegant. It tastes great. And you don't really need dinner after that. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Um, From Lonnie, what advice do you have for a 12-year-old aspiring chef? Keep cooking. Yeah. Keep cooking. I mean, this generation is so much more informed than any other generation about food. I like to think that Ruth and I had something to do. You too, Marcus. But <laughs> I'm just having... <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean like with Top Chef and other shows sure. like that. Oh, yeah. um, you know, but no, I do. I mean, when I was 12 or 13, I really didn't know, you know, my, I didn't grow up with a family who went out to restaurants, they knew the names of chefs, you know. We ate out twice a month. So this generation know so much more than I did. And, you know, they know what an Emma's bush is. They know all these things. And so I would say to cook every day. And even though, you know, at 12, you may not have the capacity to go out to eat, you do have the capacity to check out cookbooks from your library, which you don't even have to ask your parents for money for. But just cook, 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 cook. And also just know that Um, nobody will ever appreciate your cooking as much when you get older because people love kids who cook. And I mean, as a kid who cooked, you know, when you're seven, eight, nine, ten, and you, you, no matter what you produce, people say, oh, this is wonderful. And so, you know, do it now while you're you're still getting all that positive (laughs) feedback. And also think it's a great time to mess around and, and, and really make some bad food too, which is important, right? Like I took so much joy about those 12, 13, 14, cooking with my sisters and cooking with my grandmother, not understanding that certain meat needs to be braced longer. Like, why is that, for example? And it's a beautiful time to just, oh, we have this and we're going to mess it up and, and not taking it seriously, just cook and have fun with it. Because I think that just like what Ruth said in terms of, you get encouraged in a way. Sometimes you deserve it, sometimes you don't deserve it. But that enjoyment with it is so important. So I think keep cooking, keep making mistakes, and have fun. Love it. Um, all right, this is the last question of the night from Barbara, and I'm going to let each of you answer. What part of the job gives you the most joy? Um, I, I, the, job the, is, job. the job is what's the stopping job. me. I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> I I love uh, (laughs) I love watching uh, the growth of the team, the runner becoming a server, the cook becoming a sous. That is something that I will always be in love with. That whole creation, and then also actually when this talented person leaves, as painful as it is for the team, for me and the team, it's also we did it, and wherever this person goes. We will always have a little part of that, of her success, of his success. That part of it, I love the ideation and creation of making food. As tough as it is, it's kind of chess and you got to figure it out. So, I, I mean, I've never been alone because I'm always with food. 
And it's like such a beautiful privilege. And it's always these complicated things going on. And I love that. I love the interaction with guests too. But the primary is really the relationship with the food. And then I know if I don't enjoy that whole process with the team, I know that's the day I should quit. Hmm. Like I've really made a commitment. So that day when this feels like a job, I'm out. I love the discovery of cooking, you know, that for me, whether that's just tooling around for hours and, you know, in my own kitchen and trying to figure something out. But I also love the discovery that, you know, for instance, Taste the Nation has afforded me, which is to meet so many different people. And when you ask somebody for their favorite recipe from their family or what is it that they would like to cook you, um, you learn a lot about them. And the way they teach you that recipe, it's a very intimate thing, even if they don't know you. And in many cases, you know, I'm meeting these people for a very short time. But I love the communing that sharing your food can give you. And I also love how it feeds my solitude. Both things I love. They're very different experiences. It's just a joy and a privilege to be able to make a living doing the thing that I love. Wow. Thank you all so much for me as well, you know. Um, <laughs> for me as well, I love to simply talk to people about food, and this is it for me. And it's such a joy and a privilege for me to be able to share the stage with you all. And thank you so much for your advice and all your insights. And thank you for coming out, everyone. Thank you, Chris, for having us. Thank you. Oh, pleasure. That's it for this very special live episode of Dinner SOS. Thanks to Padma, Marcus, and Ruth for joining me, and to our editor-in-chief, Don Davis, for kicking off the evening. Also, shout out to the whole team at Condé Nast and Symphony Space for a flawless event. And you, our listeners, can't thank you enough for sending in your questions. As always, if you have a dinner emergency on your hands, write to us at dinnersos at bonappetit.com or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. Next week, we'll be back with Elin, a college student looking for help with budget-friendly meal prep that won't require stocking up on a whole bunch of new spices. I am trying to walk away from pre-cooked meals or pre-marinated meals combined with the fact that like I am shuffling between places most of the time and so none of my supplies are like supplies that I know I will have for like a year on. Hi friends, I'm Cameron Rogers, mental health advocate, mom of two, content creator, and host of Conversations with Cam. This podcast is dedicated to having honest conversations, prioritizing your well-being, and reminding you that no matter what you're feeling, you are not alone. We'll discuss mental health maintenance, the ups and downs of motherhood, the trials and tribulations of life, and have a lot of fun along the way. Whether you're knee-deep in diapers or just trying to keep your sanity intact, this podcast is for you. Expect laughs, maybe a few tears, and hopefully some breakthroughs along the way. Make sure to subscribe and tune in for new episodes of Conversations with Cam every Wednesday morning.